You're listening to Soccer Report Extra with Bobby McMahon and Owen O'Callaghan. Welcome to this week's edition of the Soccer Report Extra podcast, and it is a Champions League edition. We now know the 2018 final in Kiev on May 26 will be Real Madrid. 12 times winners? Owen, 12? I think it doesn't. You lose count after a while, don't you? Yeah. And five time winners, Liverpool. Now, going back, um, and we're not. I'm not trying to claim that I chose Liverpool because I didn't, but we didn't. We did discuss on um, previous Soccer Report Extra podcast how the Champions League does have a habit of teams maybe flying under the radar a little bit and find their way deep into the competition, whether it be the semi-final or final. And I think you've got to describe Liverpool as perhaps flying under that radar. Which, you know what's a very strange thing is is momentum, and you, you know sometimes it, a team gets a result, and suddenly it it takes your form and it takes your season and it takes your experience in a completely different direction. Like if you go back to that quarter final Champions League draw that was made, yeah, and obviously it, it you know it pitted Liverpool against a, a Premier League rival, but a Premier League rival that was enjoying a really really spectacular domestic season and they kind of went into that fixture again maybe like you said under the radar a little bit everyone well maybe not everybody but a vast majority of people expecting City to get through that tie and suddenly Liverpool come through the other side of that and there's maybe a a renewed sense of purpose about them and suddenly a, a, a little bit more belief in terms of how far they could actually go in this competition and then um, you look uh, across at, at, at the other fixture and, and Roma managing to get through inexplicably against Barcelona um, and suddenly that's the draw that Liverpool get in a semi-final and, and it's such a weird thing football's a weird sport and, and um, you know, in, in, you know you, I think we were hearing today about Liverpool being that cup side and that they're, they're tailor-made in this kind of Klopp era for a competition like the Champions League where um, maybe over the course of 38 game season that the kind of explosiveness and the high energy and all that sort of stuff may have its peaks and troughs whereas um, with something like this tournament they've they've really just it's it's almost like they've they've just uh, you know a fire has been lit within them and they've they've kind of really um, they've they've really kind of shone on on this sort of stage um, and and it's I mean as peculiar as it is. Um, you know, you, you have to agree with Klopp in one sense post-game when he's talking very, very excitedly about the final. Um, you know, they're, they're going in and facing a, a side with such tradition and such pedigree in terms of, um, you know, that, that final game and actually delivering on the stage. But yet, you get the feeling that Liverpool will go into it um, with, with an enormous sense of self-belief as well. I, I would suggest that they probably wouldn't want it any other way than going, they'd love to play a Real Madrid, they'd love to play a Barcelona probably the worst kind of situation for them would be to go in and play, you know, perhaps even be favourite going in. Now, I, don't, I, don't, I personally don't think they're as much an underdog as as they're made out to be because they are so dynamic and they are so full of goals. And I think they've got the wherewithal and they've got the players that can 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 actually bother Real Madrid. That uh, Although Real Madrid are on this run of, let this be, their fourth fourth final in five seasons. They've won three out of four. They could make it four out of five. Um, but, you know, in in some ways, if you, you can look at the, the result against Bayern Munich and you can say, well, Bayern Munich kind of shot themselves in the foot. But there again, Real Madrid were there to, to kind of take advantage of it. But the one thing I, I want to bring up about the Bayern Munich-Real um, Madrid, particularly the second leg, was how refreshing was it for two managers to field teams that didn't have defensive midfield players in there? <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. It was. It no was, spoilers. Yeah, I mean, it was. You know what struck me actually when I was when I was watching the Bayern game uh, was Jupp Heynckes, and you know sometimes we we, we talk about um, certain players that float under the radar, and, and maybe you don't necessarily um apply the same kind of conversation to to managers but (laughs) 
Yep, Pinkus. What an absolutely curious individual. Um, you know, he he's he's you know, in case of emergency, you know, he's 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 that he's the next phone call for Bayern Munich. Um, he's obviously a two-time champion, in, and and to see him there, I mean, Bayern played very well. I mean, that was the the kind of strange thing about it. I I actually felt that I I think that the the, the you know what a lot of people were expecting was that the second leg would kind of take care of itself that Real Madrid were uh, were so much in the driver's seat that it would be a kind of a standard enough second leg it would be a routine sort of uh, performance by Madrid they get they get through it um, but Bayern caused them issues and, and, and they were brave and they were energetic and um, you, you particularly at, at half time you kind of felt you know wow this is this is kind of still in the melting pot a little bit you know they they you know, accumulated lots of half chances. Lewandowski, obviously, maybe that's something that we'll get into in, in a few moments. Um, you know, was 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 certainly not um, the, the the prolific figure that we've come to to expect. Maybe not necessarily in big games, um, but they they were there thereabouts. Um, and it, it just struck me that there was a guy in you know, kind of um, prowling the, the touchline who who maybe um, just slips between the cracks a little bit when we talk about really good managers with a really good pedigree. Um, he's he's been there so many times. He's also a really good player. Well, um, yeah. I mean, do, do, what do you do? You, do you remember? You remember him? What, was it the Munch and Gladbach team? Yeah, yeah. It's one of the. It's one of these things, and it kind of you know, I, I always sort of you know, you talk about momentum and. Almost like kinding the kind of idea of a sl- of the sliding doors, like the movie, you know, try to track. You know, if something happens, your life goes in this direction as opposed to the other direction. The Bayern Munich team, you know, the great Bayern, regardless, the great Bayern Munich team in the seventies. Um, the great rival were Borussia Mönchengladbach, and Hinkist was part of that team. And the amazing thing, I think, is that Mönchengladbach. You know, they got to the final against Liverpool. They lost that final in 77. But they had an absolutely outstanding team. And with just maybe a break of two either way, we could easily be talking about Borussia Mönchengladbach in the dominant German team of the 70s and maybe beyond. And a team that uh, could very well have won um, the European Cup uh, during that era. It was, uh, you know, Bayern Munich, I think, managed to become the kind of... Um, they found ways of winning, and you can mm. see that in their run in the seventies when their their three wins over the Euro- wins in the European Cup. None of them in the finals were particularly impressed, but they did find a way of win. I mean, I, I I don't I don't I haven't seen much of uh, the Bundesliga this season, but every time I've seen uh, Bayern, uh, Thiago in central midfield, um, is is it just impresses me so often. Um, in terms of his intelligence and and in terms of of just his his kind of in terms of his ball playing, and I mean that was one striking thing at half time. Um, I just kind of felt oh you know there's there's a bit of momentum in midfield here for Bayern. Um, you know Thiago was playing really well, and and then <laughs> you talk of inexplicable moments. You talk of a German missing a penalty a European Championship final. Um, you also have a, a an inexplicable moment that happened in this game with, with Sven Ulreich, who, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's a curious thing about goalkeepers, isn't it? And, and we've talked about the, the goalkeeper position in previous episodes. Um, in in terms of being remembered for mistakes, that's, that's that is one thing, and we can kind of you know um, just just make that point, and, and and I'll move on to my next one, which is the other thing about goalkeepers is that. Um, they 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 may not have not they may not have absolutely nothing to do for eighty nine minutes and yet be called upon to make an absolutely world class top drawer save to keep their team in a game. Um, so concentration and keeping that high level of concentration is something that they just have to do. And in this moment, Sven Ulreich picked the absolutely opportune uh, point of his life to move. From the from to move from from being famous to being infamous, um, dropping all sense of concentration and allowing this absolutely bizarre moment to take place, um, and also as well, you always think of kind of the 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 actual experience that you're having a Champions League semi final second leg against a team like Real Madrid of all the moments to choose to to have this thing happen to you, um, it was just absolutely inexplicable. He, he will now be known from this point forward as the Scottish goalkeeper. <laughs> <laughs> have, have you 
Is there any explanation come forward for what he was trying to do? Well, was he just caught in two minds? Did he yeah. panic? Was he not concentrating? Or? Yeah, I, I think, well, he, he, he did come out and release that kind of statement, as, as every player now does if they even you know, make any semblance of a, a poor decision. They'll come out on Instagram and they'll do the massive contrite statement and plead for um, for everyone to be lenient about, about what they've done. Um, obviously, in Ulrich's case, he wasn't just playing, you know, Werder Bremen in a Bundesliga game. You know, it, it took on far greater significance. But um, I thought it was a bit of a double whammy, to be honest, as a mistake, because there's obviously the initial one where, firstly, <laughs> in terms of a, a ball back to him, Goodness gracious! It was one of the worst passes that a goalkeeper yeah. could ever wish to to actually um, have to deal with. But so there's the first moment where he has the hesitation in terms of, oh, I, well, I can just pick this. Oh, hang on, I can't pick it up. Yeah. He has that moment, but then because he's now completely derailed in his t- in terms of his train of thought, he then completely misses the ball when he goes to kick it along the ground and clear it. So there's actually a bit of a double. He's his concentration is so screwed. Um, because of what happens initially, that when he does actually go to clear the ball, he makes an absolute mean of that as well. So th- it's almost like two errors in one because of the the level um, that you know in, in terms of the the, the the I don't know the the the, the, the sense of of importance in terms of the mistake, the, the gravity of this make, mistake to begin with, and then the the actual follow on and what it kind of creates. So uh, when you saw it in a replay, you're thinking, oh goodness me. He's actually screwed up the attempted clearance as well, um, and and obviously Benzema has got the easiest goal he'll ever score. Um, but it was there like, was, it was, yeah. it was it was certainly it was like a double brain freeze. Yeah, um, because he, he just got he just got nothing right. It it, it was like just. If he'd gone to, I'm sure if he'd gone to kick Benzema, he would have missed him as well. Well, the thing was, there was also that moment where you're thinking to yourself, yeah, I mean. It's bad if you do pick it up and it's a back pass, but goodness me, you know it's still a little bit of yeah, a yeah. But what's yeah, like what's worse? Yeah, it, it, again, you you bring it back to you know sometimes goalkeepers have those uh, situations where they'll you know they'll bring down the player, uh, you know they'll go in and and they'll 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 commit the foul in the area rather than allow the player skip around them. And to take yeah. the gamble on, on on actually putting the pressure on the player to to, to knock it into the net, the the goalkeeper usually will still go through with the foul, even though they they just obviously don't have the clarity of thought of thought to go. You know what? I'm going to step out of this challenge and just put the pressure on him and see what he can do. Um, and and Ulrich seemed to have that in in the moment where he just everything just absolutely collapsed in the moment, and and there's nothing else you could do. And there was that mo- there was that photograph taken at full time when. <laughs> He's yeah. just slumped on the ground, and there's just absolutely nobody around him. And you know, he was looking for a shovel. Yeah, you know, you just, and also he would have. You, you you know you 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 always have that moment where you think, oh, you feel absolutely horrendous for him, and and it's it's the joys of goalkeeping, isn't it? I'm I'm sure Sven Ulrich, even from under eights or under nines. He has a collection of these moments, certainly not to the same uh, level of importance as Champions League semi-final, but it follows goalkeepers around, doesn't it? It doesn't matter, you know, how immaculate you are in terms of that profession uh, and how many absolutely wondrous saves you've made in your career. You pick your moment, particularly those high-profile moments, and you, you, you make an error, and that's what you're judged by um, in contrast to the centre-forward who might miss two or three chances in a game. Uh, you know that that are easier said than done to put the ball in the net. A goalkeeper is is actually condemned for it and crucified for it, and and other outfield players kind of um, get away with it, so to speak. Um, but yeah, I mean that was Bayern. I felt I felt bad for them because I did I genuinely did feel that that they were brave enough to get something from it. Um, and uh, in terms of the the storyline involving Mr. Heinkes, uh, I'm very fond of him, and I'm very fond of uh, particularly the the 2012-2013 thing where where Bayern lost at home to Chelsea, um, but still he managed to keep everything together and, and kind of bounce back and 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 deliver that Champions League trophy to the club um, even after such a traumatic event in in 2012. I was just going to say, like, it actually sort of just to going back to the the the, the Ulrich. Kind of situation, I kind of expected to hear that, like you'd he'd, he'd heard a whistle from the crowd or something, <laughs> or you'd heard a whistle, and, you know. That, which, which perhaps leads us to the other thing is, 
bit of a redemption for Benzema, wasn't it? Two goals. Well, he's that type of player, isn't he? he, he Benzema's who never misses an open yeah, goal. Yeah, Benzema's one of those guys. Well, except when he, he makes it. Well, particularly for other reasons, mostly of the off-field variety, he makes it very, very difficult to properly embrace him as a player. Um, you know, he 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 he's got himself into various scrapes, uh, various unsavoury um, experiences, and you know, you know what people often say you, you have to separate what happens on the field from from what happens off it um he's also not 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 too uh, easy to appreciate on the field i mean uh, there's probably a couple of them the, the other one not to the same extreme but higuain is is the other one where um it, 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 yeah. it, it's much easier for people to criticize and, and to express doubt about someone like higuain uh, rather than someone to absolutely shout from the rooftops about how great he is um, and I think Benzema falls into that category as well. You're kind of waiting for him to, uh, to to struggle or to screw up, and for someone to say, "Yeah, well, we always knew it, didn't we?" Um, so even when he does score twice in uh, a, a high-pressured situation like Champions League semi-final, you still have to kind of take a breath before really give, giving him uh, some some degree of of praise or or applaud it or two. Um, and maybe, yeah, I mean that, that is that is personality. Uh, it's obviously difficult. Being in the shadow of someone like Ronaldo, um, but yeah, I mean certainly there is there is a redemptive nature to to his performance. Um, you went went you know in a small way went uh, went and answered his critics, but I'm sure those critics will be circling again come the final time and and when he's presented with a few chances that that he may or may not take. Yeah, um, just to finish off, were you one of these people who was watching the last couple of minutes that actually thought that would be polite? <laughs> You know, uh, I still, I still retain an element of optimism, uh, no matter what game it is. You, you still, you've, you've just seen random stuff happen in football, and uh, you know, you've seen absolutely astonishingly weird things develop. Um, and Real Madrid certainly retain a sense of vulnerability um, defensively. And there was a part of me. I mean, you, 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 you know. You also, you know, normally it's the old adage about the Germans um, that that it's you know whatever happens in a game, the Germans will somehow force it over the line and get the job done. And Real Madrid kind of follow suit uh, that no matter how yeah. difficult uh, an experience, um, they will find a way. And you kind of got that. I mean, Bayern were huffing and puffing and trying to blow the house down, but um, Real Madrid again, you, they're just one of those teams or one of those clubs that you, you can they kind of march into a war of attrition they'll roll their sleeves up and say well I think we'll fancy your chances uh, and and they have that belief in themselves to, to, to back themselves um, even when time is running out here's, here's the interesting here's the interesting thing that you know the, the winning the Champions League three years out of four potentially four years four years four seasons out of five if they beat Liverpool You've got to accept they're the best team in Europe, but does anybody really think they're the best team in Europe? If you know what I mean, I, I know that sounds weird, but like it, you know, four times out of five would be a phenomenal, phenomenal um, achievement up there with five out of five they did begin with. But I don't think for any, I don't think this team will be regarded as being as sort of impactful as that team of the fifties for some reason. And on and you know on paper this should be a this is a much harder competition to win than it was in the fifties. But have we, we just become sort of blasé about Real Madrid and they just sort of roll it out every time and yeah. all they do is win and we just accept yeah, it? Yeah, I think there's an element of that. I think there's the same argument that's levelled at somebody like Zidane. You know, people would much would much prefer to make an argument of was Zinedine Zidane's the coach of Real Madrid. What do you expect? Obviously, they're going to win lots. Um, which is an argument that yeah. was levelled at Pep Guardiola as well. That just because see, I expected I expected Zidane when he was uh, when he was hired to be given a little bit more rope than a normal Real Madrid <laughs> manager. But I would have been I was I was willing to bet like twenty months being the limit for him. Well, what's I I, I have to agree that I didn't think that that this was going to work. I, I I you know you ever it's like anything you base your. Um, the, the way you feel on 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 history and the form book and um, 
you know, for someone who, you know, firstly, you go back to the argument of it's very, very rare that a really great player becomes a really great manager, um, you know, for, for various reasons. And Zidane, <laughs> Zidane somehow managed to be both. Um, he's he's part of a very select group. But, but also, you look at the time frame usually involved with becoming a Real Madrid coach, um, the, 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 the high-pressure environment, the fact that he didn't have any experience of that um, in in the past, and and then suddenly you turn around and you, and you look at the job he's done, and, and you, you know you like that you, you use that term blasé, which I think is really important. I think there is that element of it now where um, instead of going goodness gracious, this is astonishing, um, people would much rather shrug their shoulders and say, well, I mean, it, they're extenuating circumstances, and first and foremost, the the biggest one is that he's at Real Madrid. He should really go and prove himself. Um, he should go back to Bordeaux, um, and 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 you know, yeah. and, and make them a force to be reckoned with in France, and then we'll consider him to be a great coach. Um, but all you can do is work with what you have. We expect, we definitely expect, we de- we definitely expect our coaches to earn that. Yeah, or or that, or you're you're trying to apply the same logic to football as you would for a day job. You know, well, well, you know, you can't just yeah. breeze into this boardroom in Tesco and become general manager. You know, that's not how it works around here, Sonny. You got to go on the shop floor and you got to, you know, stock those shelves and, yeah. and you know, you got to cut your teeth. Um, football, unfortunately, doesn't follow the same rules. Um, you know, people have always picked up jobs uh, regardless of what their experience is in terms of managerial um, in a managerial sense, you know, normally it's always been uh, what they had accomplished as a player, and that kind of got their leg up and 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 uh, got them on the carousel to begin with. Um, and obviously, that 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 kind of narrative has changed somewhat uh, recently, but not too much. Um, in terms of of this Real Madrid team, I think it's becoming increasingly difficult uh, for a team to be immensely dominant. Um, you know, like like this season, you you, you kind of pick your poison. If, if if you don't start your season in an all-encompassing sort of obliteration of opposition, um, and if you know if if suddenly come Christmas time you're third in your league, you may just shift your priority, and you may actually okay. Here's, here's so just picking up on that. Here's here's another uh, little question for you. So Real Madrid have won the Champions League or the European Cup twelve times, yep. right? How many times do you think they've done the European Cup stroke Champions League La Liga mm. double? Well, they they won their first. Well, I can't even remember up until nineteen ninety two. You they, up until nineteen ninety two, they would have had to uh, have also been domestic champions. Um, no, because they qualified as the qualified as winners. Ah, here, here you go. See, looking at the fine print. Yeah. So um, so here here's here it is right. Out of the five in a row, then they only won two La Liga titles in that time. Wow! And one Copa, and one Copa del Rey, I believe. Um, Bilbao won in '56. Barcelona won in '59 and '60. Atletico Madrid won in '66. Barcelona '98. Deportivo La Coruña '2000. Valencia '2002. Atletico Madrid '14. Barcelona '16. And '17. <laughs> Real Madrid for the third time did the European Cup. La Liga double, so three times, only three times out of twelve. That's that is that that is pretty astonishing, yeah. to be honest. And, and and here's and here's the other side of the coin. Barcelona won the Champions League five times, won La Liga each year as well. Mm. Isn't it? Isn't it? It's, it is interesting though. We 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 tend, I think, to think of European domination as being domestic domination as well. Hmm. And it's and actually, I think it's more unusual than we think. And it certainly is the case with Real Madrid. Certainly, I think that, uh, and I, and I just think that. I mean, you 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 listen to someone like Guardiola this season. Clearly, so heavily focused on a domestic trophy, and I know that Jose was smart in his in his in his own press conference saying that, you know, you're obviously going to say that. Uh, after you've been knocked out of a certain tournament, you know, well, our priority was this. Um, but I do think that, I mean, you look at a Premier League as an example where the intensity of, of a top six team is is is, is absolutely ferocious. Um, so you uh, winning winning a trophy on both fronts 
is an absolutely remarkable achievement in a modern in a in a modern setting. Um, and I think that, um, uh, you know, you know, like like you like you said, I mean, it's you know, comparing eras is is always a little bit of a redundant task, um, for for various reasons. But um, you know, I think you know Guardiola's Barcelona did it. Um, you know, where they were. Uh, La Liga winners and, and then went on to Champions League and and I think nobody has done that since 2011. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm I think that that's I think that's a statistic. Well, uh, Real Madrid did, did it last year. It was yeah, Zidane, yeah, Zidane's the yeah, Zidane's the exception. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, if if uh, if Zidane was to follow that up with another Champions League trophy, I mean, it's. It's very, very. It's a very unusual storyline, you know. We've so we've become so accustomed to um, a new wave of coaching talent, you know, and and a more studious, um, a more analytical, a more kind of lower key uh, personality in terms of their 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 ex, you know their their experience in the game, and you know here here's this yeah. final Jurgen Klopp, who's a perfect example of that older kind of or that that newer coaching model where you know you're you're kind of a you slowly build your career up. He's at Mainz and, and he goes from player into coach with them, stays with them for a while and then makes that other step up into Borussia Dortmund and he's a kind of a, a revered coach and then f- get a, get another kind of high-profile uh, job with, with Liverpool. It's been that steady ascent and then on the other hand, you've got someone like Zidane who's kind of been handed the keys to the kingdom and, and hit the ground running. Um, it's kind of contrasting coaching experiences as well in the final, which... Um, is is uh, it's it? I suppose it feeds into a wider debate about how maybe there's no such thing as the right model. It's just the right model for the right club. Yeah. So that brings us to the end of uh, part one, Soccer Report Extra podcast. We're going to be back in a few seconds, and we're going to talk about Liverpool and Roma, and turned out to be a little bit tighter than we thought. You're listening to Soccer Report Extra. Keep up to speed with the podcast and get all the latest news, musings, and rants from Bobby and Owen by liking us on Facebook at Soccer Report Extra. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the second part of Soccer Report Extra podcast, Champions League edition. And the game that happened Wednesday, we knew after Tuesday, Real Madrid were in the final again. And... um, uh, Liverpool with a healthy lead after the first leg, 5-2. But um turned out, I wouldn't say exactly squeaky bum, but there must have been a lot of Liverpool fans sitting watching on TV around the world and at the game going, thinking, surely not, surely not. And it turned out, you know, it was okay for them. But these two, two late goals must have put the, you know, put a bit of a scare in them. Well, I was... I was uh, I was watching the the first leg in a bar in Cork, my hometown, and uh, the full time whistle went, and Liverpool had just scored five goals in the Champions League semi final, and there was a mentality of, oh, can we really get through this? There was actually, you know, it was genuinely, you know, they, they had accomplished this remarkable feat. Uh, in in such a, a high profile fixture, and yet at the full time whistle, because it conceded two late goals, um, there was a severe element of doubt, um, and that 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 swept into the build up to to the second leg as well, which I think says a lot about this Liverpool team. It, it's like um, we've seen it a few times domestically this season where. Even when they were comfortable in games, it didn't take much for that comfort to stop, and then suddenly, for the narrative to switch a little bit. Um, and I, I mean, you know, d- don't get me wrong that the first leg performance uh, was was uh, was absolutely stunning, as per uh, the quarter final against Manchester City, where they just plunder uh, these goals in quick succession. Just and it, it, it's so difficult to to, to stem the bleeding. Um, but there's also this vulnerability to Liverpool, even still, um, which I think is is the biggest um, cloud hanging over the final against Real Madrid, um, particularly late on in games. I cannot get my head around it. 
Um, maybe it's the intensity with which they start games and just how how frenzied and how frenetic it is for such long periods. But at the at, toward the end of the games, it's just absolute chaos. Um, and, I mean, we, we experienced it in, in the second leg with Roma, uh, as you've alluded to, attacking on a couple of goals and, and making it um, pretty nervy. But they never should have been in that position to begin with. Um, you know, it, you go back to that first leg, it should have been absolutely coasting. And, you know, it, it should have been really, really comfortable. And and instead, it, it kind of wasn't. And, you know, ultimately, yeah. Well, I, I get... I- I, I get kind of get the feeling with 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 Klopp that the next edition or the next level for Liverpool after this is is actually managing games mm. and seeing them out in less frenzied circumstances. But I kind of kind of get the feeling, and it's only a feeling. I'm no inside knowledge of this whatsoever. But it's almost like Klopp's kind of riding the wave just now. He's he's seeing this this incredible potential in this not potential in this team but this 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 attitude and this willingness to um press and attack and move and pass that my sense is he's almost frightened to 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 do anything that might upset that because better he has that with a fragile defense or a fragile moments of fragility than lose that by trying to tighten things up. So I think I think it's a almost like a well-informed gamble he's taken at the moment or for this season. Yeah, I mean, I have to agree. Because um, I think as well, you, you probably cast your mind back to, to Liverpool at various points in this season where, you know, obviously the, the, the saga of the Van Dyke transfer was finally confirmed in January where he came in and, and you know that was a piece of the puzzle that that, that Klopp had obviously identified for a while. Um, so it, even midway through this season, this team was was kind of missing a, a crucial part of it. He, he's obviously had um, a situation with the goalkeepers as well. In in, in that yeah. he was trying to figure out just exactly you know what his preferred choice was. So <laughs> you look at Liverpool now when you kind of look at uh, a starting eleven for them, which is pretty definitive. Um, but it wasn't always that way, and and even up until recently, that he you know that it wasn't a settled uh, starting eleven. He was still uh, you know playing around with a couple of different options, um, and that will kind of tell you about about this season and about the the, the narrative with Liverpool. You know, it, it's you bring it back to to that sliding doors moment or whatever you want to call it that um, you know they find themselves looking ahead to a Champions League final. I don't really think anyone could have predicted. Um, that as an eventuality, even at Christmas time, um, you know, I'm I'm sure the eternal optimists would have thought that they could give Europe a bit of a rattle, um, you know, and that that Klopp just by just going by his personality, the way he drills his teams, that you know they they might have a better chance in Europe than than uh, than than domestically. Obviously, City were running away with it anyway at that stage, um, but it's it's still a pretty preposterous uh, situation that the fact that Liverpool are now in a Champions League final. Um, but that's the joys of cup competitions, and and like that, as you said and alluded to at the, at the top of the podcast, cup competitions dredge up uh, surprising elements and 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 refreshing elements, and certainly Liverpool have been that. I mean, in terms of their uh, their free flowing approach, in terms of the actual quality of the individuals themselves, uh, and and other storylines as well. I mean. You look at guys like Robertson at left back. You know, it's a real throwback. He's done so well. Um, he's a young guy, and on the other flank, uh, Alexander Arnold, who's had his moments, uh, you know, of, of difficulty, but he seems to have pushed through them. Um, you know, Jordan Henderson and James Milner in midfield. Uh, you know, it's the mix of personalities is very. It's almost a little bit of throwback, to be honest. You know, you've got that. Um, you know, Klopp's mentioned it before that you've kind of got a, a foundation of of British players. Um, which is something obviously that's that's kind of lost from from the English game um, for for a while, but that Klopp really wanted to kind of instill, um, and and you kind of forget. I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm still not really quite sure about um, Jordan Henderson and and in, and James Milner in terms of their uh, prowess, in terms of their legacy, how they'll be remembered as players, other than really hard workers, um, you know, good, solid players. Uh, and again, maybe that says more about Klopp's management. He's 
he's got a thing about squeezing the best out of players and and maybe getting an extra five ten percent from players that 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 you obviously thought of in a certain way and then, then he just kind of maybe changes them a little bit and molds them in, in a slightly different way and also i think probably as well another thing that we maybe have forgotten about liverpool this season is the coutinho departure um and and how many had, had, had kind of had you know had looked upon that and gone God Almighty! This is when the whole thing comes off the rails, um, and how well he's dealt with that as a coach. Um, you know, you lose your talisman and your playmaker, the guy that makes everything happen. But I think as well, uh, maybe we talked about it at the time, the impact that that has on other players. That it, it maybe just gives them a degree of importance. It maybe increases their responsibility on the field. It gives them the chance to be uh, the game breaker, uh, the person who who grabs those headlines for a while. Obviously, Coutinho was dominating, but since he's gone, yes, obviously Salah has been the dominant force, but. Firmino has really come to the fore. Um, he's really seemed to have blossomed since Coutinho left um, for, for various reasons. And obviously, Mane's kind of continued to, to do what he does. Um, so you put all of those things into a bit of a mixing bowl. And even if, I mean, let's put it this way, even if Liverpool get to a final and, and, and you know, Real Madrid end up end up winning, you know, what a rem- what a ridiculous season it's been for Liverpool. You know, you get to a Champions League final. It, it's it's a very rare thing to get to experience, and uh, you know, to think of 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 how they've been at various intervals throughout the season, and to finish like this again, it kind of alludes to to uh, the fine margins maybe yeah. in a season. Is yeah. is my overall point, and and some sometimes things change and develop, and maybe it, it's about good management ultimately that you're able to to roll with those things developing and changing. And and even this week with Klopp and 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 the managerial changes, the coaching changes, you know, a storyline that cropped up, and you thought, oh my god, you know, is this going to be something that affects affects the players, affects Klopp, affects their preparations for a big game? And ultimately, it didn't really. They got through it, got you know, got over the line, and looking forward to an absolutely immense fixture as well. And with that, of course, comes next season. Sort of increased expectations, but next season is next season. Liverpool fans should should pretty much, I think, uh, enjoy uh, what's going for them. But interestingly, you, you were, were potentially looking at a situation where, what Liverpool finishing maybe third or fourth in the Premier League will be playing Real Madrid, a team that. Finish, is going to finish probably third <laughs> in um, in La Liga, and then next year when they when they uh, adjust the competition, um, the big teams that are the big the big leagues in Europe will have the four guaranteed spots, so they will no longer have to go through the qualifying round. And uh, I guess potentially, um, you know, you're 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 going to have the bigger leagues dominating to an even greater extent than, than, than they have before. But if you look at um, um, Liverpool, what have they got? Maybe, was it three or four games left in the season? Well, I'm not quite sure what it is. Uh, I mean, I don't think it's definitely be any more than three. But, you know, what does, does Klopp keep the intensity up? Does he keep this bandwagon rolling? Does he, you know, Salah's two goals behind uh, Lionel Messi, although Messi's got more games to play. I think, uh, I think Liverpool Liverpool maybe maybe two to go. Uh, Messi, I think, has got four. Does he keep on playing his number one lineup, or does he does he try and spread it around a little bit? He try and keep uh, perhaps that uh, that second tier uh, happy with some more game time. Yeah, I think it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a strange situation, isn't it? Because you, I think you alluded, I think you made a really good point where when Liverpool stop doing what they do really well. They kind of lose all uh, idea of what they're supposed to do to begin with, um, yeah. and, they, and I, they, what they do well, they do very, very well. What they don't do very well makes you worried at times. Yeah, and and I think you you almost you know would look to that in in, in the same way in in terms of Klopp's team selection that um, maybe the best thing for Klopp to do is 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 to make minimal changes. Um, yeah, I mean, there's always the the chance, the risk um, that 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 somebody goes down with 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 a knock just before a Champions League final, and and, and that might affect you. But um, you, you know, I think that you know Klopp is is not someone who who settles, um, and and I think that you could tell that you know coming down off um, you know massive first leg against Roman, and they 
they they have the, the hangover, the domestic hangover, and, and and their performance level dropped, and and that, that's certainly not what Klopp wants. He wants them to finish the season on a high, and not just relying on a Champions League to do that. Um, so I think it, it kind of goes against him, uh, and against his personality, against his the, the, against the way he coaches to to kind of pick pick one competition over the other. I think he's he's you know he's 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 all or nothing. That's kind of the way he looks at it. Um, I guess, I guess you could even look at the you could look at the Premier League and go, well, Liverpool aren't guaranteed a top four spot at the mm. moment, really. Big match against Chelsea coming up this week. Uh, yeah, I, I I think that that's you know I'm sure it, 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 I'm sure everyone's head has been turned. You know, I think you always like to 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 feel that professional footballers are you know consummate professionals and they're consummate athletes and they don't do all things. I'm sure that everyone's been absolutely buoyed by the fact that they're going to be playing in a Champions League final um, and that maybe it's a bit of an anticlimax to go back to domestic competition but you know that's again it comes back to management then it comes back to what Klopp um, has instilled in these guys that um, you know that, that that it's 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 about toil and it's about hard work and it's about effort um, and th- they haven't won anything yet I mean that they have not you know in terms of patting each other on the back and and congratulate them like like you said in terms of the mathematics on, on until something is mathematically guaranteed um i'm not sure klopp is is going to be too intent on taking his foot off the gas um but in in terms of the final itself it's it's uh like that liverpool go into it in in a pretty ideal situation i i I'm not sure. Yeah, certainly it's a final and everybody wants to win the final when you reach it. Um, but in terms of expectation, Liverpool have, have exceeded them so much already. Um, Real Madrid are the model club when it comes to this tournament. Um, they're expected to win. It's a bit like 2005, isn't it? What's that? It's a bit like 2005. Yeah, you know what? Very much so. It, it, you kind of... It, not the fa- not the fact that the pressure is off, um, but you know that there there is an element of well, no one's expected us to be here anyway. Um, you can go out there and play with a little bit of freedom, and and ultimately that's what's got Liverpool this far. Um, it certainly hasn't been uh, you know defensive unity. It hasn't been um, you know cutthroat ruthlessness at the back and grinding out. Uh, results, it's actually been a freedom and an expression in, in how they play the game. Um, and I think that, you know, going into a final, it's obviously a very unique situation for a lot of the players um, to probably wrap their head around. That's that's probably the, the biggest thing that they'll have to worry about is actually controlling themselves and, and to get over the nerves and all that sort of stuff. But in terms of their approach to games generally, it almost suits you in a final. You know, they it, not that they play off the cuff, but there is a there's a freshness to it. It's 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 very very easy on the eye. Aesthetically, it's incredibly pleasing. Um, not saying that what Real Madrid do isn't, but it's it's uh, you know Liverpool are, in many ways would be the neutral neutrals favourites um, in that fixture just because of um, the, the fact that they've relatively come from nowhere. You know that they have guys like Salah and Firmino and Mane. It, it's they do not possess guys like Cristiano Ronaldo up front. They do not have um, kind of iconic, legendary players like uh, Luka Modric patrolling centre midfield. They've got Jordan Henderson. Um, so that there's, you know, they, they've they've got a sway about them, Liverpool, and and they've got to. They'll certainly have a, a swelling in support as well. Um, you know, Real Madrid obviously are a team that you love to hate. You know, players like Ramos, players like Marcelo. Um, you know they, they, Marcelo they, and Sa- Marcelo and uh, Salah is a really juicy matchup. I, I was I was thinking that uh, Ronaldo against uh, Dejan Lovren was something that you'd be looking forward to as well. Maybe I don't know. I'll take. Uh, I think Andy Robertson. I'll have him in his pocket. I think so as well. I look forward to that. Um, but yeah, the one thing that, that we were chatting before we, we pressed record on this was um, just a, a point that I was making um, earlier on in, in terms of the vulnerability of Liverpool, um, particularly late on in games. Uh, Bill Edgar, who, who does a lot of stat work for, for the Times in the UK, had an absolutely amazing stat. The last four Liverpool games, during the first 75 minutes... They've scored nine and conceded two. In the last 15 minutes, 
they've scored none and conceded six. Um, so again, and they do score it. They do score in bunches as well, don't they? Well, I mean, particularly that opening frenzy. Um, I think what is it? Twenty-three times in the opening thirty-five minutes in European competition this season. Um, which I mean, it, it tells you all about their approach. You know, you go, you go hard early doors, um, and you you really asphyxiate the opposition, and, and you try to, to 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 push them and harry them, um, and 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 hopefully uh, they'll they'll make mistakes like Roma did um, in that second leg. Yeah. Silly individual errors, and Liverpool were there to capitalise, um, and that's that's what they will hope to do again here. Um, the the one thing is. Um, that you're obviously playing against certainly a higher calibre of player than, than what Roma possessed, but also what we talked about, you know, already in, in, in this episode, Real Madrid's experience. So even if the game is nip and tuck, entering the last 15, 20 minutes, that is where Real Madrid flex their muscles and, and showcase to everyone just what sort of pedigree they have. So in those moments in Liverpool, um, you know, historically going by this season are the most vulnerable is usually when Real Madrid step it up and and, and are most ruthless and, and take their chances. Um, so I, I guess if I had one concern, if I had one major worry, that would be it. Um, but that's not to say that, that, that Liverpool can't win it. I think they've shown already in this tournament this season um, that you write them off at their peril and, and they they actually would prefer to be written off. And, and it almost... Um, lends itself to 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 that approach they have the you know that that clop approach where it's high octane and it's 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 full on and it's in your face and opponents have difficulty dealing with it and real madrid as good as they have been and as good as zidane is um i'm sure that that, that they will have difficulty in 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 keeping them quiet as well that brings us to the end of part two of the Soccer Report Extra podcast. We'll be back to wrap this up in just a couple of seconds. You're listening to Soccer Report Extra with Bobby McMahon and Owen O'Callaghan. Be sure to follow them both on Twitter. Links are in the show notes below. Now back to the show. And welcome back uh, to the final section of Soccer Report Extra podcast. Look at the Champions League. And at this point, uh, this is where we're calling producer Luke Crawford. Luke, what have you got for us this week? Uh, just a little bit of information on a couple of personalities that uh, came up during the uh, podcast. Uh, Jupp Heinkes, he played for Borussia Mönchengladbach from 63 to 67 and then Hanover from 67 to 70, but then back with Mönchengladbach from 70 till 78 and then was manager from 79 to 87. Uh, also has the distinction of being the Bayern Munich manager on four separate occasions, once as a caretaker in 2009. Uh, he was manager in 87 to 91, and then 2011 to 13, and then, of course, 2017 to present. Uh, he's also the third highest goal scorer in Bundesliga history. Them. And uh, I believe another one of these managers that managed Real Madrid and got fired <laughs> after winning the Champions League. Yes, uh, I- exactly. And not unlike um, Mr. Mustache. Del, Del Bosque. Del Bosque. Jeez, Louise. Yeah. There is a little bit about uh, the Del Bosque about Zidane, I think, and his mannerism and the way he kind of... Um, the the, the calm, calm demeanour he has in front of the press, generally. Right. Uh, then we were also talking about Liverpool and Barcelona and how many games were left and uh, the chase for the golden uh, boot between Messi and Salah. So Liverpool have two games to go. Barcelona have four, but Barcelona have claimed their title with the, the win over the weekend. Messi scored his 41st club hat-trick. He has scored 550 goals in 634 appearances for Barcelona. Uh, he now has 64 points, uh, two points above Salah in the... Uh, Race for fancy footwear. And of course, it's not a bad, not a bad, not a bad season for Salah, is it? Yeah. You know, when at the end of it you're competing with Lionel Messi for European Golden Boot. Yeah, yeah. And of course, Messi. Was, what another? Uh, it, what another inexplicable storyline this season? Mo Salah competing with Lionel Messi for the European Golden Boot. It's only when you say those words out loud you think, goodness me. Well, continuing like this, you'll be competing with them for the. Uh, 
for the Ballon d'Or as well if he keeps on going at this rate. And well, he's also set to to win Egypt the World Cup, so there's that as well. Yeah. Well, it's just a, just another box to tick. I'm also a big fan of Lionel Messi's playoff beard. I think it's quite impressive. It's a solid beard, and it's kind of it's it's kind of ginger. And you know who Alonso used to have a ginger beard as well, and his his playoff beard was pretty yeah. Big too. And and uh, you know, I, th- I think I think we should, should we should always uh, respect men with beards. I think it's uh, yeah. you know, um, I, myself as as a beard wearer, uh-huh. um, respect other fellow beard wearers. Yeah, uh, it's, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a, a bromance. It's kind of like a, le, like you know, less. Yes, sir. Thank you for also being brave enough uh, to not shave for long periods of time, um, <laughs> and look essentially you, very I, I untidy we're and, and dirty. We're going off topic a little bit here with the with the beards, but I tell you one beard that should be shaved off: Patrick Liney. <laughs> now we're talking actual playoff beards and wow. that is just about the most horrendous thing I, yeah it, it is awful he looks like he's look like he looks like he's been dropped off out of the hot right truck <laughs> <laughs> yeah. all, all of all of the, all of the, all of our listeners who don't watch hockey and are not from winnipeg have no idea what we're talking about right now. Uh, he's, he's well enough look, you can google him yeah exactly yeah. And you can look you can Google Hutter right as well. <laughs> if you go I was I was at a I was at a bar one of the the playoff nights when the, there was a Winnipeg whiteout and there was uh there was line A uh, chin straps that you could get at the bar and so everybody was wearing these blonde chin straps around there. It was the funniest thing. You've mentioned so many words that, that I never thought would be uttered on our podcast. Chin strap being one of them. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really bad beard that just kind of goes around the, the the bottoms, you know, sort of the, around the jowl. You know, there. I don't, and I don't want to make this about strap. about you know color coloring and stuff, but it's it's the curse of the blonde hair. Yeah, you, it's hard to have a really full and heavy beard with with blonde hair. You know, it's it's the Robert, Chad, it's, Robert it, Plant can pull it off. It's, though, it's the it's the Chad Kroger effect. You know what I, I mean? So I think we've reached the point where it's time to say goodnight. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'm out. Thanks very much for listening to Soccer Report Extra Podcast. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening to Soccer Report Extra. To keep tabs on the podcast and get all the latest news, musings, and rants from Bobby and Owen, like us on Facebook at Soccer Report Extra. Music for this podcast graciously provided by Manitoba's hottest indie pop group, Misery Slims. Check them out on Spotify and YouTube and follow the band on Facebook at Misery Slims.